Okay, good morning. So how many of you are excited about the food after the service? Who's seen the picture of Howard's brisket? It looks good, mate. It looks good. I'm excited. So uh, for those of you who brought something, thank you. If you didn't, don't worry about it. There's plenty of food, not brisket, but there's plenty of all the other food for other people. I'll be eating the brisket. We're excited. So uh, today we're going to look at the last in our series of kingdom principles, uh, developing a godly character. And our last uh, principle is going to be one of the most famous ones, uh, you reap what you sow, which I think gets a really bad press. I believe you reap what you sow is actually meant to be a hugely encouraging verse in the Bible, even though we often say to people, you reap what you sow. Actually, it's really, really encouraging. It's actually set within a passage that is incredibly uplifting, and I'll be sharing that passage with you later. So just to help us understand why it was said, why the Word of God tells us we reap what we sow, I'm going to just um, go to a verse a little bit later in the passage, the part of the Scripture that's mentioned, and it says this in Galatians 6 verse 9, And let us not get tired of doing what is right. Let us not get, who's ever got tired of doing what's right? Anybody? Like, I'm just fed up of doing what's right. Can I not do what's wrong for a little bit? Who gets tired of doing what is right? So um, getting tired is uh, something I know a lot about. So um, um, when I was younger, I, I used to, I still do, although you can't tell now, but I used to go to a gym. And uh, when I first went to the gym, uh, it was in Manchester and they had all these like computer stuff they did. She so said, well, we're going to do these tests on you and then we're going to give you a report of what we suggest is like the best thing for you to do. Do you have any goals or objectives? And I said, no. So we'll, we'll do this test. So they had me running up things and breathing through things and pinching things. It was very intrusive. And, um, and then at the end, he said, have you got a goal? I said, no, I don't really have any goals. What do you mean? Well, some, some ladies have been pregnant. They want to lose some weight. Some people want to get ready for a, a marathon. I have no goals. Can we suggest something to you? I said, yes. He said, because this is the report we found on you. So I was expecting something like this. And the opening, and it kind of opened up like that. Have you ever seen what I was thinking? It was like six foot tall. He said, what is your goal? And I looked at it and I thought, well, staying alive might be nice. That would be kind of good, just staying alive. I said, well, what would you suggest? And they said, well, we'd suggest you work on your blood pressure. You have very low blood pressure. I'd fainted at work and I had low blood pressure apparently. I said, I can't do that. I said, because I'm going with a friend and he's going to be like working on his muscles. So he'd be like, what are you working on? I'm working on my biceps. What are you working on? I'm working on my blood pressure. It's just going to be really awkward, you know? I said, no, you really need to. I said, yeah, but we're going to be stood in front of a mirror. It's going to be like beefcake, cupcake. It's going to just be really, really awkward. You need to give me some kind of reason why I should work on my blood pressure. And she basically said this. She said, well, let me tell you what happens when you get home. You get home, you're tired, you're lethargic, you've got no energy. And she like described my life. And I said, That's how do you know? She said, because you've got low blood pressure. She said, you need to sow what you need to reap. Which is a good point, because I'd have always thought in my mind, if you want to be like healthy, you just don't do anything because then just relax and you're storing up all your fitness. But of course you don't. You have to sow what you want to reap. So this passage today is kind of encouraging um, uh, because we can sow, we can shape the future in ways that maybe we don't expect and will understand. And faith is to be sown like a mustard seed. It's not like a magic bean. You know, in the fairy tale, um, 
Jack gets this magic bean and he, he plants something and there's a bean stalk the next day and he climbs it. He doesn't know where it's going. That's not faith. What the word of God clearly says is that we can, to some degree, partner with God and determine our future by what we sow now. So why do we tire? Why do we give up? I want to make a suggestion based off a parable that Jesus tells that incorporates all this. So it's going to get you thinking a little bit. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to open at Matthew chapter 5, and then we're going to look at the kingdom principle more specifically. Matthew 5, Jesus tells this story. He's trying to get something across to people, and they're just not getting it. So he tells them this story. Uh, Matthew chapter 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 bridesmaids or 10 virgins. Um, who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. And all the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps have gone out. But the others replied, we don't have enough oil for you. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy the oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. See, so you too must keep watch for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. Just quick synopsis, what's going on here? Jesus is responding to questions about the Lord's coming and judgments. So he tells them this story. Five wise um, bridesmaids, five who are not so wise. Uh, the bride, what happened in these days is they went out of oil and the, the expectation was they would congregate and around about within 15 minutes, the, bride, the bridegroom would turn up. So they would put pretty much as much oil, the foolish ones put, the kind of like the minimum in. They thought, well, it's 15 minutes normally, we'll put in the oil. The wise ones thought, well, you never know, there might be a delay. And of course, there was a delay. And in context, Jesus is talking about the coming of judgment. And in most ways, Jesus agrees with the rabbis of the days apart from in one particular area. So the Jews believed that when the Messiah would come, he would bring judgment. He would just bring judgment. He would come and judge the world. In reality, when Jesus came, he initially brings grace before judgment. It's one of the reasons I believe that many Jews struggle with the idea that Jesus is the Messiah, even though he fulfills so many of the prophecies, because the one thing they're expecting him to do and Jesus didn't do was immediately bring judgment on the world. He brings grace. So there's this delay. And this is what he's talking about in this passage. So what does I have to understand? So uh, in many ways, um, he still agrees with the, with the, uh, with the rabbis. And, and listen to this. There's some interesting facts you can learn from the context. So Jesus says this, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. It's not something that can be observed. It's why, and you may disagree with me, it's why I get so concerned about TV evangelists who spend so much time working out Judgment Day. The Bible says, 
It can't be observed. You don't know. Jesus said, even I don't know when it's going to happen. Now, the rabbis had some interesting things to say about this. Um, let me read a couple of them to you. Um, May the bones of those who calculate the end be blasted away. It's a bit harsh. May the bones of those who try and work these things out be blasted away. This is what the rabbis said, using hyperbole. Why would they say that? Another one said this, and I find this really interesting. It has been taught that three things come when the mind is diverted. The Messiah, the finding of a lost article, and a scorpion. So don't postpone his coming by thinking about it. Okay, what, what's going on here? What's actually happening here? This is very confusing. What's being said here? So it says this, the coming of the kingdom is, of God is not something that can be observed. Now, have you ever been in that situation where you lost something, you forgot all about it, and then you stumble across it? Has that ever happened to you? It's, oh, I was looking for that. Yeah? Um, why, why would this happen? Why would it be that when we're diverted, the Messiah, when we're not thinking about it, the Messiah would come? Can we actually postpone um, like the coming of judgment, the coming of the end? No, we can't. It's not saying that. What the rabbis are saying is the more you think about it, the longer it's going to seem to happen. So in England, we have another phrase, uh, watch kettle never boils. We just come back from, you have that phrase here? Uh, when we came back from England, we forgot how quickly kettles boil because it's pretty urgent for us. Like I can't operate in the morning without the Holy Spirit and a cup of tea. Not necessarily in that order. So in England, like, you need tea to operate, basically. That's how our society exists, essentially. So we want the kettle to boil, but if you watch the kettle, it seems to take longer. And that's what's going on here. So uh, many years ago, we were going with, uh, with our little boys, Joel and Levi, and we were traveling, drive to California, and uh, we stopped at a new, uh, Mex uh, a new Mexico motel room. And this is not long after we'd moved over. So in England, we don't have anything dangerous apart from the people. Uh, whereas you, you know, we have wild animals here. And I'm getting up one, uh, about to go to bed at night. And just as I'm going to bed, a scorpion walks across the hotel floor. And um, I, I literally didn't know what to do with it. So I'm kind of like one of those, like, you know, just usher it out, born free, that kind of stuff. I never thought, you know, you know, I don't know, this thing could be dangerous. It was a little translucent one. I thought this could be dangerous, so I whacked it with a slipper because I thought, what if the boys get up in the middle of the night? And afterwards, I found out it's quite dangerous. But I didn't know how to handle it. I didn't know how to manage it. I didn't know what to do with that scorpion. And, and the problem is, I think we want to manage God. We want to know when the time's coming, when things are going to work out, and what we're going to do because of that. But the Bible says, and, and Jesus says, but about that day or the hour, no one don't knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And then he says this, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. I think the reason for the delay, partly, so that what we do, the reason we don't know, is so what we do is more genuine. So let me explain it. So like I say, we're finishing today our, our uh, series and um, I think we've got a slide. So we talk about this idea of lion dwelling and clown dwelling. This is just my little images. And the lion dwelling, of course, is when we work out what's, what shouldn't we do and how far can I go before I get into trouble and what must I do in order to get a reward. And we spend so much time on the rules, we miss the heart behind it. In this case, we might ask the question, well, what's the risk and what's the reward? We can press that. What's the risk 
and what's the reward? And sometimes work out, well, what should I do based on the risk and the potential reward? So in my mind, I think God's got it wrong. This is what I would do. In my mind, I would do this. I would think, well, if I was a business person, I would make the world operate like this. If you pray in the morning, and if you uh, give to charities, then God will build your business the next day. Or if you're a pastor and you fast one day, then you'll see more people in the church the next day. But I know if that was the way it was, was, I would just manipulate God, or at least try to. I would try to manage God. Well, God's not only unimaginable, he's unmanageable as well. And, and actually what God is looking for is not risk or reward, but of course, he's looking for relationship. He's looking that what we do comes out of relationship. So um, I always get worried when I hear this passage, reap what you sow, being preached, particularly in churches, because sometimes it can get a little bit manipulative. You know, give to the church and God will give you more. Maybe, maybe not. There's no guarantees with this. It's not, a, it's not like a vending machine where I'm going to put this into the vending machine, put my money in, and I'm going to get this back. It's about relationship. So we don't know exactly what's going to happen in the future. We just know we get to shape the future. And it's a wonderful, incredible thing. But it comes out of relationship. God's looking for relationship from you. He's looking for you to do whatever it is you do for the kingdom, wherever it is you give for the kingdom, wherever it is you want to sow into the future out of love because you've been loved, not in order to get. But with this incredible promise that whatever you sow, you will reap. And some of you are sowing incredible things. Some of you are so faithful. We talked about faithfulness uh, last week. Faithful. Some of you are sowing. Some of you are incredibly generous. Some of you are incredibly encouraging. You will, you will reap what you sow. God will bless you. And the kingdom principle goes like this. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. King James Version says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that he shall also reap. So are we line dwellers or are we cloud dwellers? Are we people who are just looking along the line thinking, well, I'm going to work out the risk and work out the reward and see what I give? Or are we saying, because of the love you put in me, I'm just going to sow into the future? Um, I wrote this in the book when we, we talked about this. We stare at the line wondering when, when our reward will come to us. The less... Belief we have in the kingdom principle, the more we edge towards its extremes. When it comes to investing in the future, line dwellers are prompted by their questions. What is the timeline? Is there a shortcut? What can I do now that will benefit me soon? Cloud dwellers, however, are guided by his questions. Will you commit to my process? Will you trust in my strategy? What will you do now so that others can benefit from it in the future. The sowing by cloud dwellers is not artificially increased the more it smells sulfur or hears a harp. Cloud dwellers are not accessing spiritual health insurance. This is not bargain seed. This is the spiritual mechanism by which we help shape the future. God has given us this principle, you will reap what you sow. In context, it's an encouragement. Now, the world even recognizes this. The world has its own version of this. It's called karma. But there's a difference between karma and this kingdom principle. The difference between karma and the kingdom, there's two things. First of all, grace. Grace. Yes, we reap what we sow, but God throws this grace-shaped kink 
into the cycle of life. You know, we reap what we sow, but God pours this grace and we don't get what we deserve sometimes. And the second thing is kingdom. Karma tends to be about us as individuals. It's about me. What I do will come back on me. The kingdom and this passage, and even if you look at the, um, the language this is written in, is plural. It's about us as a community. You will reap what I sow, and I will reap what you sow. It's a kingdom thing. Our community, our city, our nation, our world will reap what we sow. And it's a wonderful, beautiful thing. So I want to go through just some, very quickly, just some sub-principles just to encourage you about this. So first is we reap the same kind as we sow. What you're sowing, you will reap. The wicked man, this is Proverbs, the wicked man earns deceptive wages, but he who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. Our reward is guaranteed if we sow righteousness. Job said, as I have observed, those who plough evil and those who sow it, sow trouble, will reap it. We know that if we sow gossip, we're probably going to reap mistrust. You know this, don't you? If you're a gossip, well, let's put it this way, because none of you are gossips. But if you know a gossip and you get to know a gossip, you know I'm not going to trust that person with any of my private stuff. So if we gossip, we reap mistrust. If you sow respect, you will reap respect. So we get this wonderful thing of reaping the same kind as we sow. Someone once said, speak when you're angry and you'll deliver the best speech you'll ever regret. But Mother Teresa said, kind words can be short and easy to speak, but their echoes are truly endless. Matthew 7, Jesus said, by their fruit, and this is great news, this bit, by their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruits. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. So God will recognize us. We will be recognized by our fruits. So Billy Graham died um, two, three weeks ago, and uh, he did two major campaigns in England. The second one was really interesting. In his first campaign, he came and preached, and many people got saved. Uh, the second campaign, he went to a place called Harrogate, which is in Yorkshire. And when he was preaching, there were 52 pastors on stage, 52 ministers and vicars from different churches on stage, which often happened in those days. There would be people like leaders sitting on stage with him. During the service, they said, Billy, we just want you to know something. These 52 people are all vicars, pastors or ministers. He said, yeah, I can tell. You know, they've got dog collars on. So what you don't know is they all became Christians at your last time you were here. And he produced who he was. He reproduced who he was. So will we. We'll reproduce who we are. As a church, um, who we are is who we will attract. You know, so if I was a prosperity guy, uh, maybe, and, and the rest of us were, then maybe we would attract people who were looking just for prosperity. But in my heart and in our heart, it's an overflow of what God's done in us to pour out in our community. And those who want that will come because we reproduce who we are. And God will recognize our fruits. And Bob was saying this, everything else this week in a leaders meeting, everything else we do in life will be burnt up, but not what we do for the kingdom of heaven. Everything we do for the kingdom of heaven will last. It's a wonderful thing. So principle two, we reap um, in a different season than that which we 
So, so faith is not in the stepping out, it's in the waiting. And I would encourage you, as you wait. So, um, you know, we were talking about this before, on, on, when, on Tuesday night, if it rains, um, going out and um, just trusting that God will still use that. Uh, and it's difficult sometimes because our, our, our circumstances affect us so much. But I think just that determination of I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it and I do it. And even though when you do it, it may take a while for the fruit, there's an incredible blessing for that. If I believe, the longer the wait, the greater the fruit. The longer the wait, the greater the reward. A third um, sub-principle is this. We reap in proportion to what we sow. We reap in proportion to what we sow. There's a wonderful story that's not true. It's just a, a kind of fairy tale of a land in the olden days, and there was a drought. So the king lived in a castle with a moat. And he said to all the villagers and all the townspeople, I want you to bring water for us to share. There's a drought. Bring as much water as you can, but only bring what you want to give. So some people brought huge barrels of water, put it on their cap, poured it in, into the well. So they poured it into the well. And some brought saucepans and dishes and some brought thimbles and cups and they poured it into the well. And the king says, I'm not going to judge you, that's great. He said, but here's what you didn't know, follow me. And he opened a couple of huge double doors. And in, in that room was massive amounts of treasure. He said to him, go and get your treasure. But you can only get what you can fill in the container you brought of the water. For me, that's like worship. For me, like worship. You know, we, we reap passion in the same way we sow passion. And for me, for me in worship, I want to sow. Uh, whether, whether the music's great or not so great, I love the worship here, but whether the worship's great or not so great, whether there's lots of people in the room and I feel energized by everybody or it feels, you know, quiet, wherever, I want to worship because I'm not, I'm not worshiping worship, I'm worshiping God who never changes. And with a container of your heart, God will fill you. If you bring a thimble of worship, okay, if you bring a cup, if you bring a great big barrel of worship, God will fill the container you bring. God will do more than what you sow. Sorry, God will do more with what you sow than you can possibly imagine. Luke, uh, in Luke, Jesus said this, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I didn't want to say this to me. He said, never cut down a tree in wintertime. You know, in wintertime, you look around and some of the trees look dead. They just look dead. And actually, there's all this stuff happening under the surface, isn't there? All this stuff happening under the surface. Um, he also said to me, never, never chop down your vision when things get tough. So sometimes we have vision and then it's not working out quite the way we expect and we, we draw back on, on what we, the commitment we put into. But never, never cut down vision in wintertime. There's always this waiting period, but it's always going to come back to us. That's the promise of God. And nearly finally, one more actually, uh, we cannot sow into the past, but only the future. So we cannot sow for last year's harvest, so don't, don't sweat it. What you did last year makes no difference. God's talking about now and the future. You can't, why worry about the past? You can't change the past. You know the difference between 
I'm sure you know this is the difference between what the devil will say to us and what God will say to us when we do things wrong. The devil condemns, the Holy Spirit convicts. So the devil says, you did this, you're just awful and you're punished. But the Holy Spirit, it's how you know it's the Holy Spirit, it says, you did this, you need to change it, but there's hope. And here's, here's a future. That's the difference between condemnation and conviction. And so as we look in our past, and maybe we're thinking, oh, I, I, maybe I'm reaping what I'm sowing. It's amazing. You've got this grace-shaped kink that as we repent, God just pours grace. We don't need to sweat the past. This principle is about thinking for the future and thinking forward. And then my penultimate sub We only reap if we're still around at harvest time. You only reap if we're still around at harvest time. Psalm says this, those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out with weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. But it's only if we're still around at harvest time. Um, in ministry, I've been doing this now for 25, 30 years in ministry, and we've had people come with us on, on certain journeys. And it always breaks my heart when people give up just before a breakthrough. Uh, just before, uh, and they've sown, they've sown, they've sown, but they've never experienced the blessing because they're not around at harvest time. So um, just, uh, I'm going to read a couple things to you as we, as we finish, but let me just read something that always inspires me. This is excerpts from John Wesley's diary. If you don't know who John Wesley was, he was a famous preacher uh, from England, um, traveled on horseback all over England, um, set up schools and hospitals, preached the gospel, amazing things. These, these are apparently true excerpts from his um, journal. Kept a journal. Sunday morning, May the 5th, preached in St. Anne's, was asked not to come back anymore. Sunday afternoon, May the 5th, preached in St. John's, deacon said, get out and stay out. Sunday morning, May the 12th, preached in St. Jude's, can't go back there either. Sunday morning, May the, uh, Sunday evening, May the 19th, preached in, sorry, Sunday morning, May the 19th, preached in St. Someone Else's church, you couldn't remember what church it was, deacons called a special meeting and said, I couldn't return. That evening, I was preached, I preached on the street, got kicked off the street. Sunday morning, May the 26th, preached in a meadow, chased out of meadow as bull was let loose during the service. Sunday morning, June the 2nd, preached out on the edge of town, kicked off the highway. That evening, June the 2nd, preached in the pasture, 10,000 people came out to hear me. When would you have given up? Well before the bull. He kept at it. He kept at it. He kept sowing. He kept that commitment. He kept passion. And he, he reaped 10,000. Can you imagine now? He kicked off a highway one in the morning, in the evening, 10,000 people come out to hear you. Incredible. What if he hadn't stuck at it? But he reaped because he was still around at harvest time. And finally, God adds a supernatural blessing to good seed. Um, there's a little poem that says this. Sow a thought, reap a word. Sow a word, reap a deed. Sow a deed, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a future. What investment do you make in your future? What investment do you make in your future? How proactive and how intentional are you about what you sow in the lives of other people? Is it just incidental or is it intentional? Do you think, I'm going to sow this 
Um, the, the Hebrew concept of kavanah, when we do something with an awareness of God's presence and God's purpose, makes a difference. You can sow and you can shape your future. So uh, a while ago, we wrote a, a book just because we're finishing the series. I've not been advertised book, but um, if you want to get the book, the idea is to help you shape your thinking. Because if you shape your thinking, your words will be impacted. If your words are impacted, it will impact, impact your behavior. It will start to shape your behavior. If you do it regularly enough, you act on these things, it creates habits. It affects your character. We can reshape our character into the character of Christ, but it's not a one-off. Um, the one thing Jesus never healed was character. So Jesus didn't go up, lay hands on someone and say, you're now faithful. You're now generous. It didn't happen. It's a process. It's a process of sowing and reaping. Seeking first the God, gradually changing the way we think. So I want to finish by reading the passage, because I think it's so encouraging, reading the passage over us that this kingdom principle is in. So I'd like us just to close our eyes if we can. I'm going to ask you to just come out. I just want to, just as we begin to um, just close and have some fellowship time together and, and uh, encourage each other with words and actions, let me just read this passage to you, for, especially for those of you who, who get tired of doing what is right. Now, this is from Galatians. It's chapter 6, and it's verse 1 uh, and verse to verse 10. And this is what was written. It says this. Maybe just focus on these words. It starts with, dear brothers. This is not just a letter to Galatians. It's a letter to you as well. Dear brothers, if a Christian is overcome by some sin, you, who are godly, should gently and humbly help him back onto the right path, remembering that next time it might be one of you who is in the wrong. Share each other's troubles and problems, and so obey the Lord's command. If anyone thinks he's too great to stoop to this, he's fooling himself. He's really a nobody. Let everybody be sure that he is doing his very best, for then he will have the personal satisfaction of work well done and won't need to compare himself with someone else. Each of us must bear some faults and burdens of our own, for none of us are perfect. Those who are taught the word of God should help their teachers by paying them. Don't be misled. Remember that you can't ignore God and get away with it. A man will always reap the kind of crop he sows. If he sows to please his own wrong desires, he will be planting seeds of evil and he will surely reap a harvest of spiritual decay and death. But if he plants the good things of the Spirit, he will reap the everlasting life that the Holy Spirit gives him. And let us not get tired of doing what is right, for after a while we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't get discouraged and give up. That's why whenever we can, we should always be kind to everyone and especially to our Christian brothers. Lord, as we come to the end of this series of kingdom principles and Lord, just understanding that you don't want us to be led by just rules and regulations. You don't want us just to focus on what, what we should and shouldn't do. You want us to really understand your heart so that our character will be transformed by thinking the way you think. And we will therefore do the things you do and reproduce what you did. So Lord, I pray for each and every one of us 
that we will just really commit to intentionally sowing into the future the things that we see you do. Maybe for some of you this week, you weren't planning on coming. Maybe you had other things to do, but maybe it'd be good for you just to sacrifice those things and get involved in the cookie drop. Get involved in helping the youth on the Wednesday. Maybe for some of us, it's, it's serving outside of the church. There are things outside of the church that God wants you to be involved in and connect with and be him to others. Can I encourage you, wherever you sow, you will reap. There'll be a delay. You can't work out it out. You can't calculate when the reward will come. But if you do it because God loved you and not for reward, you will be rewarded. And at the right time, God will multiply it and give you so much more. Yes, Lord, we just uh, pray as we are about to um, spend some time just breaking um, up and spending time in fellowship that we will, at the very least, encourage each other with our words. In your name we ask it, Lord.